Dave Mitchell, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so they turned you off too quick. You know. He said Dave Mitchell, everyone. So. <laughs> Don't make me beg. Listen, good to be with you this morning, and boy, do we have an important and enormous task in front of us. I've got a lot of stuff on the outline that is available for you, and I encourage you to use that because I can't talk about all of it as much as I'd like to. It's really, it's a six-Sunday sermon that you're going to get in one sermon today. So I'm just going to prepare you. Without apology, it's a lot because we have planned it to be this way, and yet I want to put into your hands some of the most critical things so that we can dress for success. There's some things that don't look right. A surfer wearing a suit, typically you wouldn't see that at the beach. A bride mowing the lawn, typically you would not see that uh, unless she's getting ready for the reception in her backyard there, but just wanted to finish up a little bit. Uh, And so we have these scenes where it doesn't look like the dress fits the occasion. This morning we want to talk about the kind of dress that we need to have when we go to war. And if you go to war, you're going to wear the right kind of equipment, and they spend months and months and months training. What's the equipment? How do I use it? How should I respond when I am under attack? And then finally, this coming week, this last week, I should say, we've seen these terrible assaults on the law enforcement community. Uh, They've been under attack. Literally five officers lost their lives. Others were wounded, and a couple of civilians were wounded as well. Uh, This is a picture of our own Santa Ana police force. The first person you see there is Carlos Rojas. He is the chief of police of Santa Ana. Next to him on his right is Tony Harrelson, uh, who is now retired, but he was a deputy chief. And then next to him is Doug McKeechee, who is currently a deputy chief that serves over there in the Santa Ana Police Department. And I just wanted to add that we are in a war zone in spiritual realms, but we also sometimes see it in a very physical, real way, as we saw it this last week on Thursday in Dallas, Texas, and our hearts break in behalf of the families that have lost their loved ones and uh, those that have been wounded, and really the reverberation that can be felt across uh, many in the law enforcement community. And it was heartbreaking for me to listen to the chief of police of Dallas, Texas, to say that uh, we are out here, and frankly, we don't feel as though we have much support. And uh, that is heartbreaking as well. So as we go into a passage that is all about the armor of God preparing us for the battles that are certainly raging around us, I'd like for us to pause for a moment and just thank God that He's given to us individuals. And I say to the cops that I'll ride with, and this throws them off a little bit, but I will say, you know what the Bible says about you? And they say, well, what is that? That you are a minister of God. And they don't quite know how to process that. But Romans chapter 13 tells us that God has put those in authority over us in our land so that they are a minister for God's sake to bring about peace in our lands. And so we need to have that kind of healthy respect that God has for all those in law enforcement and for me and for us at Calvary Church. We support those of you who are retired, those of you who are active, those who are involved in some behind-the-scenes realm of the law enforcement community. So we thank you for your service to our community. So thank you for that. Let me just pray for their safety and for us as we are engaging in a battle that uh, is going to cause a lot of distraction for us as we look at this passage today. So let's pray. Father God, we know that we need you. 
We see that there are a lot of evil things that happen in this world today. And uh, Lord, it's hard to understand how people reach the point where they reach and do the kind of devastation that we have seen. So God, we pray for your comfort and your care for all in law enforcement and for especially these five families who have lost a loved one. Father, we pray that you would guide us as we look into your word. It's a heavy passage. It's a difficult passage. It's a lot to try to look at. And Lord, I know that our minds will tune in and out. But God, I pray that you and your Holy Spirit would speak into us what we each individually need to hear. And that God, that you would guide us and strengthen us to be ready for the wars of the spiritual principalities, the powers of the air that would want to take us out. So we look to you for that and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we want to dress for success and the text is Ephesians chapter 6, 14 through 17. And one of the things that Paul says as we're going through a series where life is better together, as we saw last week, we set it up. If you were here last week, I had Ethan Mayetta, one of Santa Ana Police uh, Finest, came and shot me in my bulletproof vest with a paintball gun, and uh, I still live to tell the story, because we live in a world where there is an attack, and you need to make sure you have the right armor on, and Paul describes that armor now. Paul is sitting in a prison cell. He's looking at a Roman soldier. As he looks at this Roman soldier, he sees the armament that the soldier has, and he says, you know, that reminds me, the Spirit of God teaches Paul that we are in a battle as well, not flesh and blood, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, but he says against the principalities, the powers of the air, the demonic world, the satanic world that is around us, and we need to have the armor on like the Roman soldier has his armor on. So he goes and he pieces down the armor of the soldier, and he says, we need armor like that, and this is what Paul writes. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And Paul begins by saying, stand firm. Don't retreat, don't attack, but stand firm. When you have the armor on, you don't have to fear what the world is going to throw your way. Because Satan is the God of this world. And there will be those attacks that will come our way. So stand firm with this armor on. And then also one other layer. I want to highlight these three words of having. He says the reality is that you have these things in Christ. Having your girded your loins with truth. You have that. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You have that all the time. Having your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have that. So the six pieces of armor, the first three are things that we should always have on. Truth, righteousness, and peace. If we don't have those on all the time, we're vulnerable because peace is going to give way to anxiety. Righteousness is going to give way to sin, compromise. Truth is going to give way to deceit and falsehood. And so Paul says you need to have those on all the time so then you can take up the other three pieces of the armor. The shield of faith. You don't have it all the time, but you need faith to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. The helmet of salvation. Secure in who we are in Christ. And then finally, the word of God. 
that I use it as an offensive method like the sword to pierce back against the falsehoods that the evil one wants to throw my way. So I need to have all six pieces of the armor. And I want to show you a little film clip that comes out of this movie that's been in the theater a while ago. It's called Risen. Uh, it's pretty Christ-centric, if you will, of this uh, soldier that is encountering the resurrected Jesus Christ. But here's a little scene, a battle scene. This would have been sort of in Paul's mindset as he sees the armament of the soldiers in the war against their enemies at the time. Here's a take on that clip. As tribune to Prefect Pontius Pilate, my task is to keep order in a city that is steeped in unrest. The Jews pray to their single god Yahweh for the arrival of the mystical Messiah. As their religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, try to keep an uneasy peace. But each day creates more zealots to challenge the rule of Rome and bring freedom. Instead, we bring them death. So, pretty, pretty graphic, I know, in many ways. But notice this Roman soldier. You see all six pieces of the armor that Paul mentioned there. You see some of them on him. You see the uh, belt. You see the sword. You see the breastplate. Behind is the shield. Behind are the feet uh, uh, with the proper shoes that are on there. And these pieces of armament Paul is looking at. Paul takes a scene out of the war zone that's around him as Roman soldiers attack many of the Jewish population. And he says, let me take those elements and put them into the spiritual realm. Because as Paul said, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of the air. And so this Roman soldier and this armament that is on there, Paul says, we need that or the enemy will take us out. In fact, you take all the areas of this armament and those are the areas that the enemy wants to attack you and me in. The first place Paul begins is the belt. The belt, as the soldier would wear it around his tunic, be called the garments together so they are tight so that he has better mobility and allows him to be able to move forward and backward and not be entangled by the cloth underneath that belt. And so Paul says, that's where we begin. Like the soldier that's standing next to me and his belt that he has on there, we need a belt. And he says, that belt is the belt of truth. It's interesting that Paul, the very first piece of armament that Paul chooses to talk about is truth. If there's no truth, the rest crumble. If there's no truth, we don't know what righteousness is. If there's no truth, we can never walk in a peaceful way with God because we don't know God. And the rest of the armament doesn't work unless the truth is there. And so the belt that is there, that has to be there to allow all the rest of the armament to be able to work and effectively function the way it's supposed to. 
So Paul begins by talking about truth. This piece of armor allows the soldier to move with mobility, to remove the distractions. Now, a lot of this is pretty basic, but there's objective truth, and then we will see there is subjective truth. The objective truth is that God says, I have absolute truth. My word is true. Trust it. Let it be a foundation. So God wants us to know that Satan's first words out of his mouth in the Garden of Eden, when it was all perfect, there were no sins. Adam and Eve had not fallen. Everything was just the way God wanted it to be until the serpent, empowered by Satan, speaks to Eve the very first words out of Satan's mouth to Eve. Indeed, has God said. Satan wants us to question God's word. Satan wants us to distort it, to twist it, to reinterpret it in our own fashion, to take truth that is absolute and begin to compromise it so that it works better for me. And that's what he did with Eve. We also know that objective truth is necessary to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 4.14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine. You have no stability when you have no absolute truth. And we live in a world today where my truth might be different than your truth, and we're very comfortable with that mindset. But God says, no, there's only one objective truth. And it comes from the Word, and it doesn't matter what culture says. As the cultural winds blow and the trickery of men, the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. So this is fundamental. Unless the belt of truth, objective truth, biblical truth, is the foundation upon which we build our lives, Satan will trip us up because he loves to entangle us with this subjective truth. That is where I say one thing, but I live something differently. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. There are things that will entangle us and trip us up. There are things that will become an encumbrance. Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There are those things that entangle us, that encumbrance us, and that are sins that will trip us up. Now, we live in a world where objective truth of what sin is is changing. We live in a world where the affairs of the world are going to come and the winds of the culture around us are going to cause us to wonder if what we really believe is true. And I have specific areas that I wanted just to point out that I'd love to point this out, and uh, I know this is my list, and so um, someone else might have a different list, but I believe the core of all unrighteousness and all deceit comes out of pride. And I put together this little list of what I call the five P's of pride because I think these are significant entanglements, significant sins, significant encumbrances, as Paul might say it, or the writer of Hebrews might say it, that I think trip us up. Because when the five P's of pride, for example, position, those things I achieve in life, could be at work, could be at school, could be in terms of even physical fitness, things that I have achieved in life, and I get value out of having achieved those things. I think that's where my worth and my value comes from, by the position that I have gained. And I've often seen in my long years of living 
that people who gain, say, a position of prominence at work, you check out the children, and they've been deprived because there's not this balance because everything's weighted on the first P of position. Secondly, prestige. I care about how others think about me. Now, we should be obviously culturally relevant, and we should have consideration for what people think. But when my life is driven by wanting to be liked, received, and accepted, and loved, so that I change my values and what I believe to be true, then I have lost this piece of armor. Because I am driven by what other people think of me. And we are rearing our children in a culturally relevant world where they're going to be forced into a certain behavior or value system because otherwise they're rejected. And it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge to bring up children and grandchildren who will be followers of the truth of God's Word. Speak the truth in love, but the truth of God has to remain true. And don't worry about so much offense. Possessions, things I gain, power, how I control my life, pleasure, I just want to be happy. I've heard of a lot of marriages that have failed because one spouse or the other says, I just deserve to be happy. Everybody wants everybody to be happy. But when my value system is happiness is the highest order, pleasure exceeds biblical objective truth. That's dangerous. And it can erode away and entangle me and encumbrance me. And it can be a sin that takes me down. So Paul begins by talking about objective and subjective truth that should guide me. Then he leads us to the breastplate, having the breastplate of righteousness. In those days, the breastplate might be metal, it might be out of leather, it might have been out of a, a firm of a cloth that has been woven together, but they shape it so that it protects the innermost important areas like the heart and the entrails of the person's body. So he gives that peace of my heart and my character who can walk in confidence that I know that I'm doing the right thing and I have peace with God through the righteousness that his truth has taught me is true for me and the biblical truth that he has given to me. Here are four ways that Satan loves to counterfeit that breastplate. One thing I learned about the bulletproof vest that I wore last Sunday, if you saw that, is that I used to have another one that the Santa Ana Police Department gave me, and they said, it is out of date, we need to give you a new one. Because that one probably won't stop a bullet, but a new one will because it deteriorates over time. I didn't know I thought once it's good, it's always good. So I had a replacement given. And it reminded me that there are those breastplates, if you will, those protective garbs of false righteousness that Satan loves to distribute to us, and we feel fairly smug in them. Notice four of them. Perfectionistic righteousness, which is the kind of righteousness, the breastplate that makes me feel shameful and unworthy where Satan is constantly telling me, Dave, you don't have what it takes. You're never going to be good enough. You might as well give it up. You might as call it quits because you don't have enough righteousness to be able to teach anybody God's Word. You don't have enough righteousness to say to somebody else how they should live their lives. And so Satan accuses us day and night. And so we have this sort of shame-based, I'm never quite good enough because I'm not 
perfect enough mindset. There are some people that live that way, and God says, that's not what I called you to. That's not how you should live. Secondly, there's comparative righteousness, where I find in others more sins than in myself, and so therefore I think I'm probably okay. Uh, when I took a philosophy course with Stanley Obitz in uh, Westmont College, I always hoped he would grade on the curve because therefore I would rather compare myself to others who don't know what he's talking about just like I don't know what he's talking about than on a standard of 90% takes to get an A. And there are some people in Christian living who hope God grades on a curve because I just want to be better than most other people and when I compare myself to them, I'm kind of okay. And it's not the way God designed us to live. The Pharisees said, praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, and we don't need any more people like that. So don't live on comparative righteousness. Thirdly, there's complacent righteousness. Complacent righteousness is where I define it as where I no longer grow and mature, but I just sort of accept my sinful weaknesses. That's just the way I am. As one person told me, I'm an angry person. That's just the way I am. Well, that's a complacent righteous person. I adjust my values to align them with the current cultural values. I sort of give in to the winds of the toss, tossing me here and there. I live comfortably with the lesser sins like jealousy, etc. And sometimes those things that I grew up with, some things that are just part of me, I just sort of say, well, that's kind of the way I am. Uh, I was talking to a pastor friend um, who uh, grew up in professional sports. And in many professional sports, in particular this case, uh, they would use a lot of four-letter words, and in particular the F-word. He would use the F-word. And so he came to Christ, but he still would use the F-word. And then he became a pastor. And he told me one time, I sometimes let the F-word slip in my message. I go, wow. <laughs> you know, that, that is where we, we sort of give in and he recognized, I don't want to be that way. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it, he says. Okay, okay, that's good. But it reminded me that there are some things maybe we grew up with, some habits, some customs, some practices, and they're just sort of part of my makeup. I come to Christ. I get saved. And yet that encumbrance, that sin, it's still part of me. And I'm not changing. And God says, no, no, that's not the righteousness I gave you. I don't want you to be complacent in your sin where you're giving into the, as Ephesians 4.14 says, the, the winds that are tossing you here and there and believe whatever you want to believe and practice righteousness as you define it. And then finally, there's self-righteousness. It's where I achieve favor with God by doing good things in a legalistic way. I determine in my own mind what is sinful behavior, and anybody that doesn't measure up to my standard of sin, I judge them. That's not righteousness that God gives to us either. Where I gain favor with God by doing good things, I go to church so that God will be happy with me. I don't need to go to church so that God will be happy with me. I go to church because I want to worship Him. I want to learn Him. I want to fellowship with those who love Him. So the reasons why I do things, sometimes they can drift into self-righteousness so that God shows me favor. I get the job, I get the school, I get the grade, 
No, we don't play those games with God. God says, I want to give you the righteousness that comes from Jesus. It's complete. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Paul says, put it on, wrap that breastplate all around you, make that the core. You know, when you do exercise and you do fitness, the core muscles here are essential so that you're able to carry out all the other tasks as well. He says, I want that to be a core value. That the fullness of Christ's righteousness is yours. You don't have to gain favor with me to get it. You don't have to compare to someone else to get it. You don't have to be perfect. But once I give it to you, you will grow in it. It will become more of who you are. I was just talking to somebody after first hour. And he came up to me. And God bless his heart. He says, when I first came here, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. But I want to let you know, the more I have read God's word, the more I have studied what God says to me, the more I understand the armor of God, God's been changing my life. I am a changed person, he told me. I said, that's exactly it. That's Christ's righteousness. It begins to shape me to be more like Jesus Christ every day. So I put on this new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The truth, the belt of truth, and leads me to the righteousness that is Jesus' righteousness, not one of my own making. And then thirdly, there is the shoe. The shoes are worn in the uh, Middle East, and if you've ever been to the Middle East, you know that there's a lot of sands, there's a lot of rocks, a lot of gravel, and so you notice at the bottom of these shoes here, they're sort of like maybe baseball cleats where they have these little parts that are sticking out or golf shoes so they can grip the ground that's underneath them because otherwise you begin to slip and slide and there's uncertainty. You don't quite know what's going to happen next. You can easily be pushed to the ground. And so Paul says, just like this Roman soldier standing next to me in my prison cell has the belt on him and that's our truth and he's a breastplate, that's our righteousness. I look at his feet and I say it's essential that he has strong shoes that allows him to stand firm in this battle. It allows us to not fall. It allows us to even move forward in Jesus Christ. And so we stand firm in the peace that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the peace of Christ is in me, I have peace with God. Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. God's peace that is vertical with him, I have peace with God. I'm not worried about God judging me, condemning me, shaming me, belittling me because I have peace with God. And it came through Jesus, not my own self-righteousness. That's a great place to live. And once his peace is in me, I have peace that goes horizontally. Paul writes in Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you see the sort of thing that happened in Dallas, Texas this last week, it has a potential of creating this anxiety that we live in a turbulent society where I don't know what to expect next. And God says, I want you to know that I'm a sovereign, a mighty God. And I've given you truth. I've given you righteousness. And I want you to have peace of heart. Don't let the anxiety of what you see affect the peace that is yours through me. I'm with you. I'm watching over you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another. It's where I sit down and right now I'm reading through the book of Hebrews. 
every morning. And man, what a heavyweight, difficult book that is to read through it. And sometimes it's hard for my mind early in the morning to actually understand anything I'm reading, tell you the truth. But once I begin to grasp who Christ is in the book of Hebrews, he's preeminent. And that he's given to me an eternal redemption. And that he lives in heaven to intercede for me every single day. And that I'm not dependent upon day-by-day sacrifices, but the once-and-for-all sacrifice that is Christ. There's a peace that comes through God's Word that touches my heart, that allows me to have the kind of certainty that God is truly the God who has this world in His grasp. And so I live with the peace of Christ as the preeminent one. In fact, it says in Hebrews, Jesus is our captain, is one of the words that it uses there. And He is ruling over us. And then finally, the peace I live with you, Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be fearful. God, Jesus, Jesus, I knew there would be days like last Thursday. I knew there would be days like 9-11. I knew there would be days when it looks as though there is a racial divide in our country. I knew there would be days when it looks like officers maybe are excessive in the use of force. I knew that there would be disruptions like this. So he says, I want you to have my peace and then I want my peace to be in you when this world looks like it's out of control. I want that to be a unique characteristic of those who follow me. And I don't want the evil one attacking you and creating the lack of peace and anxiety and worry and consternation that is overwhelming me. He says, I don't want you to live that way. So I've given to you my peace that is unlike the world's peace. So don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in me. And then he shows us, fourthly, take up these things, the shield. I love that clip that you saw in here, and you see it on the image here. That's one of the reasons we have this better together theme is because you notice the shields that you saw in the video of Risen and the screen here. When you're together with others, your shields better protect you. It's harder to protect with one shield, but much better with a series of shields side by side. So God gave us the church, a place where we bring our shields of faith and we help protect one another with a faith that God is going to care for you in your situation. And I don't have time to go through all of the arrows that Satan will shoot at us in those days. They would take arrows, put pitch on the tip of the arrow, light the pitch on fire, shoot the arrow, and so when the arrow strikes its victim, that pitch would splatter, And everybody that gets splattered by the pitch would be burned. Their clothing might be burned. They might be scarred for life or even killed. So Paul says, take up that shield because the arrows of the evil one, the enemy, he's going to be shooting at you. You need to know what they are, but have a shield of faith. And here's the thing, and there are three kinds of arrows, and you can look at this on your own. I just don't have the time. But let me just say this. One of the most important things you and I can do for one another, and and I get concerned that sometimes some of us in general were overwhelmed by a situation, by a problem, by a health matter, by a financial problem. And you know what we need? We need others with shields of faith to come alongside and say, you know what? I'm not going to let you go through this thing alone. I will stand with you. 
And our faith in Christ is brought over to them to encourage them in maybe a weakened faith in Christ. Because the enemy wants us to have a doubting faith, a testing faith, and a selfish faith. And God says, I need you to stand with them with your shields of faith together so that they feel my protection as well. Encourage them in their lack of faith to bring them along. And then Jesus said to Satan when he attacked them, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. When the shield of faith is in practice, Satan says, okay, I, I quit. I move on. So that's why we need to have those shields of faith even better together, side by side. Then there's the helmet of salvation. The salvation that we have been given in Christ. And as Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation, protects my mind the reality of all that I have. And I just listed in Ephesians chapter 1, you can read it on your own. I hope you do, because you cannot possibly grow by eating one giant meal like this once a week. But Ephesians chapter 1 gives us this beautiful description of the salvation that is ours that Satan doesn't want us to know about, that Satan doesn't want us to believe in, that Satan wants to erode away, and such things as we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We say, God, why am I not blessed by you? Where are those blessings? God says, I've given them to you. Look into the word and pray that you will see them that we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Why do I feel so unworthy and so slighted? God says, no, Dave, I chose you before you were born. That's how important you are to me. And I live and rest in the reality that God chose me way before I ever had a notion of trusting in him. So did everybody else that's been saved. We are chosen by God to be holy and blameless. So don't get lazy when you're righteousness. Because this is what God has called me to. He didn't choose me to be happy. He chose me to be holy. And in that, frankly, there's the joyfulness that comes out of it. We're adopted as God's children, so don't question who you are in Christ. We also see that we're forgiven of our sins and he's rich in grace. Don't ever let Satan cause you to think that you must not be saved because you sin. Don't let Satan cause you to think God will never forgive you of this sin, the magnitude of this sin, how the world describes this sin, how the church defines this sin. Don't let Satan take away from you the lavished grace of God. And no matter what you sinned, and no matter how long you've sinned, that God's forgiveness is still available to you. This is part of the helmet of salvation, that I have inheritance, I have the Holy Spirit to secure me, and that my salvation is by faith and God's grace, not my good works. That's the biggest lie that Satan has proposed to the world today. The helmet of his salvation is a salvation based upon being good enough to be accepted by God. And Jesus says, no, my helmet of salvation that is securing you as an adopted child of mine is that it's by my grace giving you what you don't deserve, and it's forever. And it's not by your works, it's by your faith. And then finally, the sword, which is the word of God, where the Word of God comes, and I love this passage in Hebrews 4, just reading it on my own just a couple of days ago. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. As Paul talks about the sword, which is the Word of God, he says this is the sharpest sword you can ever have in your arsenal. 
and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart where the sword pierces deep in my soul, and I need that. I need to get into God's Word, not as some sort of an academic exercise, not as just some simplistic devotional trite saying that I could have found in Reader's Digest. I need to get into God's Word where God's Word begins to touch my soul, the depth of my heart, where I felt the sense that God is working in my life, where He's beginning to season and train and correct and encourage. It's deep within my soul where the Word of God is doing what it's designed to do, piercing like a surgeon to correct and guide and encourage and lift me and remind me of who I am in Christ and what the armor has been given to me to accomplish. That's where the Word of God is powerful. I hope, I hope you are one who takes this book and every day you have a surgical experience with God where that two-edged sword in a spiritual way is piercing, correcting, encouraging the very core of who you are as a spiritual being and a child of God if you've trusted in Jesus. And then finally, that book, that Bible, it's inspired by God, it's profitable for teaching. He teaches me to reprove me, to correct me. So I'm trained in righteousness so that I'm equipped for every good work. That's what God invites us into. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's where it begins. By believing in Christ as he died upon that cross for your sins, to cleanse you, to give you a new life, the helmet of salvation is placed on, you cinch up the belt of truth, he gives you that breastplate of righteousness where you become righteous, like, just like Jesus. It's instantly your righteousness from God. And you live it out, and he gives you the feet that are shod with this gospel of peace. You have stability and peace with God. Peace begins to evade, invade everybody around you because you have that peace, that rest in that peace of Christ. This is what God wants us to experience. And, and I invite you to, as you go through and as we worship now, and look at the armor. Those things that I believe God has blessed me and I see a God working in this area, like one man told me earlier. And then secondly, what are those areas of the armor that, God, I'd love to strengthen that. I need to be trained in that. I need to be taught in that. I need to be equipped better because the enemy is hitting me there. It may be the faith. It may be the lack of peace. It may be the Word of God is not piercing to the heart of my life to train me up for every good deed. Whatever that may be, I encourage you to pray and ask God Ask the Spirit to come and encourage and correct and train to righteousness so that we are those people best qualified when the enemy attacks. As we worship, we have the communion, the bread and the cup. It symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. It allows us to express our communing with a holy God, which is a beautiful privilege because Christ did it all for us, so we thank him through the bread and the in the cup, we have the offering buckets that are available there as you would give and support God's work here and around the world. And then we have prayer points on either side. We'd love to pray with you because a lot of this comes through the power of prayer where God blesses you with things that you can never achieve on your own, but he gives you this armor that makes you a better follower of his. And we want to be that 
like that shield of faith. We want to pray in faith and put our shields together where we are marching as one against the battle that is going to come our way. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given to us the privilege to know you. And Lord, there's so much here. It's just impossible for my little mind to absorb it all fully, and I'm sure there might be others. But God, I pray that your spirit would touch us in ways that we need to be touched, teach us in ways we need to be taught, strengthen us, Father, in the areas of need, that we would live the life that you've called us to live. And God, where there's weakness, I pray that you would provide strength. And where there's strength, I pray that you would bring affirmation and support. And God, that we would live the life that you have led us into, to be adopted into your family and enjoy life with you. Thank you, Father, as we bring this to you and worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.